You're listening to the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast, episode 26. A common mathematical problem involves the famous traveling salesperson problem. Basically, a salesperson has to visit a number of houses in various locations and has to work out the shortest route possible that still hits all the houses. Seems simple enough, but the problem gets exponentially more complex and difficult with more houses to visit and possible roads taken. Computer scientists and NASA have been working on variations of this problem, trying to optimize precious time and resources. One such researcher is today's guest, Jeremy Frank, the principal investigator for the Autonomous Systems and Operations Project. We talk about his work in autonomy and how NASA delivers innovative solutions that dramatically improve the agency's capabilities while also supporting the innovation economy. Without further delay, here is Jeremy Frank. Tell us a little bit about how you came to Silicon Valley, how you ended up joining NASA. Tell us about yourself. Sure. So I actually came here because someone who used to work here came Mm -hmm. and gave a talk when I was in school, when I was in graduate school. Okay. And I actually ended up working with with that guy for about three summers before I joined as a contractor in 1997. Are you originally from California? No, I moved here to go to school, and I went to school in Southern California for four years, and then I came to Northern California and went to school for another five or so years. Wow, a lot of school. A lot of school. Has it always been like STEM? Always. Always interested in, was it like, like, like we're always interested in just science in general, or is it more engineering, or how? Math and computers. Okay. All math and computers. Although NASA was not actually on my radar screen early on. So that was... That was a surprise, but mm-hmm. I, I've loved working here. I've worked a lot of different things since I've been here. So, yeah. So when you first came on, was it like as like a PhD student or something yeah. like that? Yes. Okay. And what, what what did you first start working on? So I work in uh, computer science. Okay. And I'm interested in uh, problems that are hard for computers even to solve. Okay. And so, without getting way 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 down into the weeds. These problems are hard because if you think about uh, just sorting a bunch of numbers, Mm -hmm. so you can sort numbers pretty fast. Yeah. If you add n n numbers, you can sort them in less than n squared individual operations. In fact, even fewer than that. So that's fast. But if you imagined that you had n things that you wanted to say arrange into you know the shortest possible way to deliver packages in in n cities. We as computer scientists don't know how to do that in less than n factorial. Okay. n factorial is like n to the n, 2 to the minus n, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So n to the n is a lot worse than n squared. I've heard this kind of described as almost like the salesman <clears throat> dilemma where... The traveling salesperson's problem. Yes, that's what I've seen. So there are bunches of problems that are like the traveling salesperson problem. Okay. Many of them are scheduling problems or planning totally. problems. There are also problems in things like identifying a fault, like in a circuit that's faulty, okay. or if I've lost a bunch of equipment and I don't know exactly what happened to take all that equipment out. Okay. Some of those fault management and diagnosis problems can also be problems that take you know, exponential time. Okay. And so a lot of these problems NASA cares very deeply about. So those are the classes of things that I worked on when I first got here. Okay, because it's, like, it's, it's in a very ma- purely mathematical and computer science sense. Okay, so it's more than just necessarily you know, brute force, like trying every single possible solution to that traveling salesman dilemma. It's 
you probably have to step back and like, is there a more creative way to do this or is it, do they do it like, like in bunches or I, I guess this is a problem that's still being worked out. It hasn't been solved yet. It hasn't been solved. What people do is they say, I have a clever technique that's just a little smarter than searching everything. <laughs> okay. This and those clever, te- you know, there are a variety of different ones. There are, you know, basically educated guest techniques. Okay. There are educated guest techniques that sort of get folded in between searching every possibility. There's, I can rule a bunch of things out because of what I've discovered while I've been trying to do my search. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on. These are things that PhD students in computer science continue yeah. to work on to this day. We here at NASA, our job is to take the best and coolest of those ideas yeah. and to say, can I apply that to my spacecraft mission operations <laughs> problem and do it better than I've ever done it before? Nice. So to, to some extent, that's been the shift in my career and the career of a lot of other yeah, people it's like here. Find out what that cutting edge, the forward of research and thinking, and then like, all right, now let's give it to the engineers or, or, or work with the engineers to figure out how can this actually solve these problems that we are having? That's right. And to, to expound on that difference a little bit, if I'm a math person, yeah. I think in terms of, well, if I had an infinite number of things, <laughs> which of course I don't. Yes, how budget does this, being one of them. You know, how does this scale? Does it scale as n factorial over 282 yeah. trillion, which means that it's better than just n factorial, right? You know, yeah. mathematicians get all excited about that. And everybody else glazes their eyes. Gla- well, well <laughs> and an astronomer group. who says, yeah. you know what? I've got 32 targets tonight. Okay. I don't care about how does it work when it's n factorial as n goes to a million. I, that's not interesting to what me. What can I deal with right now? <clears throat> this is my problem. Put these things to work. Oh, and by the way, you've got 30 minutes to build me a schedule. Right? <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, okay. And, and I'm supposed to do this on some commodity computer. I don't have infinite compute power either. Oh, wow. So that's the difference between pure mathematics and you know practical applications, engineering, operations. Okay. So you're kind of working in that nexus of all of those things, our that's, powers combined. That's where we, that's where we are. And in particular, the niche area that I apply this to now is human spaceflight. Did you start off from like working on the mathematics side and just kind of now you've moved into like how to apply this to yeah, that's, actually that's humans in space. Humans in space. So I mean, when you think of like humans in space, you always, obviously you think of like you know life support, dealing with the radiation, how you keep a delicate, you know, carbon-based life form alive in the harshest of conditions. How does math play into that? How does math play into it? So there are a couple ways. So the first part of the problem, actually, it's good that you mentioned life support. Yeah. So we mentioned that, you know, some of these problems of tell me what went wrong. So these are hard problems. They can be. (laughs) And so if the general case of tell me what went wrong is a hard problem, and I imagine that my astronaut on the way to Mars has to figure out what went wrong by themselves. The control center is too far away. They okay. can't respond in time. Or if there's I can, a delay even, yeah. Or even, well, delay out of communication. Totally. So when Mars and Earth are on the opposite side of the sun, they can't talk at all for two weeks. Oh, wow. So there could be a period of time where the crew's really on their own when okay. we go to Mars. Well, I need this kind of software, not just the math brainy stuff, but it needs to be packaged in such a way that a human being can understand what it's saying at the okay. end of the day. That's where it all comes together. Oh, wow. So what's just s- one of many ways. Yeah, so what are some of the stuff that you're kind of elbows deep in right now? What are, what are some of the cool stuff that you're working on? Well, we have a project which really is all about how are we going to send people to Mars and how are we going to keep them safe okay. and how are we going to keep them effective? So we take things like those cool diagnosis algorithms to deal with spacecraft faults. Okay. We also look at the problem of if a crew person has to schedule their own day, that can be a couple of hundred activities and there can be a lot of constraints. So it's a little bit like that traveling salesman problem. So we ask, 
what of these things do we have to put to work to help the crew figure out how can they arrange their day mm -hmm. with all the constraints that they have? Okay. How do they choose what activities to do because maybe you can't do everything? How do you make sure it all goes in the right place? These two activities can't overlap. These two activities have to be separated by mm -hmm. you know a minimum amount of time. Uh, so that's another place where it comes in. So you can't avoid it. The traveling salesman, it keeps coming back. The traveling salesman is even in space. <laughs> He's got a long way to go. That's right. But if you think then about things like what can go wrong. So okay. every piece of equipment on board a spacecraft has to get power from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So looking to the power system and asking, how does the power system configured to distribute power to all of those components? Has something been turned off so I don't need to worry about it? Or was mm -hmm. it turned on and something commanded it off, so I don't okay. need to worry about it? Or did I just lose two-thirds of the powered pieces of my spacecraft and what happened, right? Oh, wow. It's highly unlikely that every single one of them decided to pack it in all by themselves completely yeah. independently. So it's more likely that the power system took it all with it okay. and something happened to the power system. So that's the place where that diagnosis problem comes into play. But... If I look at things like the water recycling system on board my spacecraft, mm -hmm. if that's not behaving properly, I have to think about where's all the water? Okay. How's the water moving from one place to another? Mm -hmm. How is the water being processed? Similarly, how is the water system and the air system integrated? Yeah. Is the water system packing in because the power system has broken and it's taken out part of my life okay. support system? or? Is there a dirty filter? Yeah, is there all scum kinds of... growing in the tanks and it's clogging filters and valves are sticking? What's going on? So the diagnosis part of the problem also requires understanding enough about how those systems work yeah. in, order to, in order to inform it, right? Okay. Now, some of the, your work also kind of falls into some of the autonomy or autonomous? That's right. All of this, you could think of all the same technology as living in the Space Mission Control Center okay. today. So instead of an astronaut doing this task, I might have a flight controller doing it. Okay. But if the flight controller is doing it, they're waiting for the information to come from the spacecraft yeah. over the air to ground link okay. into the control center. And then it's now the flight controller's job to look at all that, to use those algorithms, and then to you know gather themselves together and to say, this is what we think is going on and this is what we need to tell the mm -hmm. crew. That's the way it's done today. Tomorrow... When yeah. that spacecraft is five light minutes from Earth, 10 like, light minutes from Earth. <laughs> it's great with the ISS, this International Space Station, like relatively really close. Very and then close. When you start heading out to Mars, it's not going to be delay quite that, like, so simple. Even at the speed of light, it's still going to be a delay. <clears throat> light minutes. Light wow. minutes. It's just insane. Yes. <laughs> but take all of that technology, yeah. all that brain power. There's a minimum of six people operating the ISS every single day. Okay. And usually it's more like 12 or 15, and sometimes it's as many as 30. We imagine there will be four crew on the way to Mars. Okay. Four. So all that expertise, all that knowledge, it needs to be compressed yeah. greatly. And as much assistance as you can give them. That's right. And we don't need to solve the entire problem of the control center mm -hmm. on board. But in the worst case, when they've got nothing, you know, they're, yeah. they're out of communication, that's the class of help that we think we need. So all okay. that autonomy part of the problem is how much of that control center smarts, whether it's software, human beings, or a combination of the two, okay. how much of that do we need to put on board that Martian-bound spacecraft? Okay, so you figure some of like easier tasks isn't necessarily the right way to put it, but there may be some things that can be you know, made autonomous. So like, they don't have to be in the weeds of some things, but like you can hand it over to software or 
Well, that's right. Or robots or vehicles or whatever. So the, the autonomous element is the human being and all of their smart software on their spacecraft yeah. doing the job without asking for help from mission control. And so one of the big questions is, how autonomous do they really have to be? Once you actually figure that part out, the second part of the question is, does the human need to be a participant in this? Or can yeah. the software and the spacecraft do the job all by themselves? Or is it going to be some combination of the two? As you figure this stuff out, I, I mean, there's any number of ways that, that could be applicable to daily life. I think that's exactly right. So one obvious way is if you think about, let's pick on the Navy. Okay. So submarine crews do this today all, all right. the time. Uh, large submarines go and travel without talking to anybody for months at a time. So, so that's an obvious application. Mm -hmm. There's a second one, which is remote medicine or telemedicine. So if you think one of the terrible things that could happen on board your spacecraft is someone is injured or they get sick. Yeah, you break a leg. Break a <laughs> leg, hit your head. Yeah. Um, I have sick. a headache and it's just not going away and I don't know what to do. Can you so, imagine getting sick in close, in close quarters? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, this is a big this is a big cause for concern. And so think about the packaging of autonomous medical diagnostics technology to help really understand what okay. exactly is your problem. And once you've figured out what's going wrong, what is it that you do about it? So there are numerous places that don't have access to great big, huge hospital systems yeah. throughout the world. Think about totally. the technology to help that. A variety of exploratory, you know, people who are off yeah. in, in, say, you know, harsh conditions like on mountaintops or in jungles. Uh, to be able to use a lot of this technology. So mm -hmm. so you're absolutely right. There are a lot of ways in which this all sort of plays together. Yeah, Even can... things like a remote power station or a remote water processing plant. I was going to go right into it. You think of places, you know, on this planet where, you know, power is, is a precious resource, water, you know, and if we can figure out how to be life or self-sustaining and supporting in space, clearly there's application to other countries, other areas. Even things as innocuous as the self-driving car revolution. Yeah. If you think about, you know, these cars are very, very complex today. They have multiple computer systems. Yeah. Uh, they have a complex avionics system. They have, they have LIDAR razor, lasers on top. Eventually they're going to have all of those things. So looking at even just better diagnostics for the car that's not autonomous. Okay. I don't want to see an idiot light. I actually want to know what's gone Tell wrong. Tell me what's wrong. I want to have a sense of... <laughs> Tell me what can, I'm ignoring. You need to take this to the shop right now versus <laughs> yes. you can take this to the shop eventually, but really you need to take it in. <laughs> or the, when they fixed your car, they left the light on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you get to go all the way back just for them to turn it off. The, the other place that NASA is exploring that, that has a very good crossover with a lot of this is in aviation. There's a lot of question about... How is it that a smaller pilot or cockpit crew can fly a commercial okay. class aircraft today? Some of the same kind of uh, diagnostics considerations are already being employed for aircraft, mostly in control centers and in maintenance. But you could also think about those things as being useful on, on an airplane in flight. Wow. Like even if you just even thinking of like our own cars, apart from even being autonomous, it's like cruise control. And so it's just like, more features of a souped up cruise control to all the way to, you, you know, you call it up on your phone and you just hop in and go. There's a whole That's range. That's the ideal. <laughs> That's the ideal. I mean, obviously there's the human exploration component and how it applies to real life. But um, are you working on any of like, like probes or kind of like that, that first wave scouting and you know, of autonomy of like may, or even going places where the human literally can't go? Well, so we actually get to learn a lot from what's already being done in this area. So yeah. if you think about our future Martian mission, yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been sending spacecraft to Mars since 1976 mm -hmm. with the Viking landing. 
So a lot of a lot of our informed ideas about what must be done and what doesn't need to be done come from the way that Viking and all of its successors, yeah. right up to Spirit, Opportunity, and Curiosity, as well as all the Martian orbiters, if you look at how they work today, they work on a cycle where they build a plan and they mm-hmm. send that plan to the spacecraft, and then they wait for the spacecraft to report back about how things went. That planning cycle, that sort of daily planning cycle, yeah. it's not that different than what's done on the International Space Station today. While the crew's asleep, the control center in Houston and all the other control centers around the world are building the crew's plan for the next day. Okay, cool. So that's great news because it means the crew doesn't need to figure out how to plan their own activities for a month ahead of time. They wake up with a to-do list. (laughs) And they're going to wake up with a to-do list on Mars, and we know that because of the way that JPL runs their missions. But if you you take a look at some of the autonomy-enabling technology that we're building for uh, human space exploration, Mm -hmm. the part of it that differs from what we already know how to do for probes that go to not just Mars but elsewhere like Pluto— It's the human interface because of the presence of the astronaut. That's a big difference. The second big difference is the presence of a life support system because we have a human crew and you need to keep them alive. Most Martian missions don't need that. All Martian missions of the past don't need it. (laughs) There is actually actually a very, very intriguing element of Mars 2020, which is oxygen extraction. So even now, we're starting to see some of those future missions doing things that are a little bit more human spaceflight-like. So that's changing. And then the last one is just a matter of scale. The International Space Station, the U.S. part of the International Space Station alone, sends at least 180,000 pieces of distinct pieces of information to the control center all the time. Wow. So the scale just is much, much larger than anything that we have sent further out. And then trying to sort that out and make sense of that data is an entirely different thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. So it really puts into perspective the potential for huge problems when we have a crew, an astronaut mm-hmm. crew, do that job. We know they can't do the whole thing. So the question is, what kind of help do we give them? Going back even to like the self-driving cars, it's like it goes to a thing of like, well, we know how humans drive. And oftentimes it's not very well. <laughs> or it's like, you know, humans text, they eat food, they have their kid crying in the back, they get sleepy, you know. A robot doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have to. Te- it doesn't text or eat McDonald's while like driving. Down That's the exactly road. right. But if if I'm battery powered, yeah, I'll run out of juice exactly the same way that a human rated car does. Mm-hmm. There's there's this issue that when I have those cars working together, yeah, like a hive or that's mentality. right. Even if they were all communicating with each other, yeah. which maybe they could. There's still going to be imperfect information. There's going to be delay. There's going to be lag. Yeah. There's going to be lag of communication, lag of processing, and there's going to be the unexpected event. Oop, there's a pothole that I didn't expect. Yeah. So all those things are 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 interesting problems in sort of how groups of robots are going to work together. But but to come back to the human spaceflight part of the problem, because the humans will have some idea of what they want to do that will be imperfectly understood by the automated system. That puts an interesting premium on all this automated reasoning that we want to do. Uh, take planning as an example. So I can build a plan, and I can present that to the crew, and the crew might say, that plan's great, but it didn't take into account something that I would like to do, and so I'm going to ignore that plan and do something else. If we don't build our planning systems properly, they'll <laughs> be totally freaked out by that, Yeah, and it's a bad situation. So. <laughs> 
it's it's a nice thing. And when I was studying computer science, that wasn't yeah. a problem that I had really thought about. Yeah. And even now, there's a small subset of people who are thinking about that as something to worry about. Well, and so in your work, you're kind of in that 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 next subject of like like the supercomputing autonomy, the space flight. So how does the supercomputing help and augment or like play into all of these different factors together? Well. So what we want to do to the best of our ability is build a plan the human wants. However, we need to be able to roll with what the human says they would like out of a plan. So, so here's, one, here's one example of how you might do that. Yeah. Uh, don't build a plan that the human can't change around. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's a pretty straightforward one. Yeah, they want to be able to have the flexibility to change it up. That's right. But humans make mistakes. And so if a human does something that the, the system says... <laughs> you gave me a constraint that you're not supposed to do that. Uh, yeah. Either you're smarter than me and you have to tell me it's all right in this circumstance and I won't, I won't bother you with that anymore. <laughs> or at least let me give you a heads up. But I need to give you the heads up. Yeah. So there's that facet of things. Another one is, as you specify a problem of, of building a plan, there could be a lot of different solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give you an example, suppose I tell you your goals for today are to go to the grocery store, to go to work for at least four hours, to take a run, and to meet your bud for lunch. Well, I didn't tell you exactly how to order all those things. Mm-hmm. There may be some you can't do at the same time, so you know that maybe you can't eat lunch and have a run at the same time, so that's okay. obvious. But you could go to the store at the very beginning of the day if you're buying you know, non-perishables and nothing that's cold, or maybe you have to go at the end of the day because you gotta hit the ATM first. <laughs> okay. But you can see that there are a lot of plans. Yeah. Well, without presupposing which plan is the best, the system should be able to generate new plans quickly or to generate, say, the top five plans and let you pick one. Okay. Right? So there are a variety of these kinds of considerations. Many of these are well understood in computer science, some of them not so well. Yeah. But the point is, look at those tools that we have in the computer science toolbox. Ask the people who are the consumers of plans, when we give you plans, what do you want to see? Yeah. How do you want to see them? How do you want to manipulate them? Yeah. How do you want to reinvoke the system and ask for a new plan? So that's a big part of what we do. And with, with diagnosis, it's very much the same problem. It's a lot uh, of the help me help you. <laughs> help me help you. But it's a two-way street. We yeah. need to think about it from what are computer science tools in the toolbox that we can use to help? What do we use for human interfaces? How, do we, mm-hmm. how is it that we present the information to people? And when we get really lucky, yeah. we encounter a new interesting technical problem. And <laughs> we go back to computer science and say, we need some help with this because this is new and we're not totally sure how to solve this. Oh, wow. So that's fun. Oh, this is it's crazy. And it's also and just how it cross sections with all of the different missions and structures of NASA. It's like kind of how all of this stuff can work together. But before a couple of years ago, I, I really did not have a good sense of just how multidisciplinary it all is. So for anybody who's listening who wants to get more information on this, I mean, there's a whole wide range. Probably the best place is just go to nasa.gov and search around. So I'm in what's called the Intelligent Systems Division at Mm -hmm. NASA. So if you search for the Intelligent Systems Division at NASA Ames Research Center, my work and a lot of the other work that, that we do that's in a similar spirit can be found there. Within the human spaceflight part of NASA, yeah. uh, I, I am part of what is called the Advanced Exploration Systems Program. Okay. And 
so you can search for the Advanced Exploration Systems Program. And the project that I run that, that this is all a part of is called the Autonomous Systems and Operations Project. And so you will ultimately be able to find out some more about what we've done there. Excellent. So, and also for anybody who's listening, if you want to use the smartphone, the computer in your pocket, um, we're on Twitter at NASA Ames. We're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Thank you so much for coming, Jeremy. This has You're been welcome. great. Thank you. Thank you.